You're listening to On The Line, the interview podcast from entertainment.ie. Hey guys, Dee Malumbi, staff writer at entertainment.ie here, and this is my interview with Boots Riley, the director of Sorry To Bother You. Sorry To Bother You is actually Boots' first film, and it is insightful and bonkers and absolutely hilarious. The movie is an absurdist black comedy set in an alternate present-day dystopia and follows a telemarketer making his way up the ranks as he exercises his quote-unquote white voice. Riley came from a background in music, having been a rapper and music producer, and in our interview we actually talk about how that experience informed his directing. We also talk about how he came up with the idea for the film and how Tessa Thompson, who is hot off the success of Thor Ragnarok and Creed, came on board, um, and we talk about other topics too. So I hope you enjoy this. Make sure to like and subscribe to On The Line, and of course do check out Sorry To Bother You when it hits cinemas on December 7th. Have you a long day ahead of you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, you know, to be honest, it's just sitting around talking about movies. It's a good place to be. Yeah. So I wanted to say congratulations so much on Sorry to Bother You. What a brilliant, bonkers movie this is. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much. No, I was. Did, did they have a screening in Ireland? We did, yeah. It was a very limited one. It was just for a few press members. So there was myself and maybe three or four in the audience there, but we were totally enraptured in it from start to finish. Right, cool. Can you tell me a bit about um, the inspiration behind it, first of all? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always just making art that talks about how I feel about the world. And, um, you know, I've done telemarketing before. It seemed like a good place to start. I knew that I was going to um, do something set in the world of telemarketing and where there was a struggle that, that he had to decide what, what side he was on. So that, that's, that's where I started and then just took the journey with the character and, uh, and, and, and as I went, it just kept getting crazier and crazier. Because <laughs> I was wondering, like, I think a huge part of this film is the fact that it's kind of set in this, you know, alternate reality, this kind of dystopian setting that isn't too far from what we have today, but it's definitely kind of not recognizably present day. So I was wondering, you said that you kind of started off with the telemarketing and your primary character, but at what point did the other elements like the story and that dystopian setting, at what point did they kind of come into the script? You know, as I went on, all of these, Things started coming in because I was trying to put the things that would happen to the character in a larger context. Mm-hmm. So you you know when you want to put like a scene in in larger context, you could do that. One way to do that is is to do it through dialogue. Like have somebody say, you know, the reason this is happening is such and such. And a lot of movies, especially movies that are thinking that they have some sort of social, some sort of message or whatever do that and they they get away with it and uh i hate those movies but i want i I, because i do music you know sometimes i might have a guitar part that i'm trying to make work and i know that there's something about it that i like and i keep i try with different guitarists different guitar playing different kinds of guitars and still not working and i realize oh what you know i should make that a trumpet part 
So with the similar thing, I end up finding, for instance, I might want to show, I want, uh, you know, I want to show like the awkwardness of the, the invasive feeling and the awkwardness from making of making tele, these calls, telemarketing. And so I could have him just be like, you know, I just feel like I'm invading people's lives. And a lot of movies would do that. Or I can make the audience feel that by showing them mm-hmm. and by having him actually smash through the floor and get there. So those, those were the, the, the decisions I made. How do I uh, talk about the value that someone's time and work has mm-hmm. on, on things? How do I do that? I could do that through having a, I could have had 12 squeezes on there, the organizer, and they could have all been talking about it back and forth. Or I can just show, you know, slightly exaggerated version of what's going on and have a company like Worry Free. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's just ways to talk about things that we we deal with in real life in the first place. But uh, any movie is uh, what, what they're doing is exaggerating contradiction to show you something. You know, I don't care whether it's a movie where somebody gets kidnapped and the father goes on a rampage to get their daughter back or it's, um, you know, a movie that's called a satire or something. You know, the, all it is is exaggerating contradiction and showing irony. And in using that to different effect, and for me, I have different contradictions. I'm exaggerating. Mm-hmm. It's not even really an exaggeration; it's a focus, which which is the same as exaggeration. Yeah, it's interesting when I've been because I've been looking at some of the kind of early responses to your movie, and there have been different words kind of thrown around to describe it, like absurdist, bonkers, hilarious, ambitious. Um, I know it's not kind of an easy film to nail down, but some of the words you used even there when you were describing it were like exaggerated and satire. Um, would those be kind of the primary words that come to mind if you're, you were describing the movie to somebody? Well, I wouldn't use the word satire. I'm kind of against it, but I know people have mm-hmm. used it. I, I think because satire, what is satire? Satire is just what I said. It's somebody exaggerating things. Um to make a point, but like I said, all movies are doing that anyway, mm-hmm. and it's only when something has a point against the status quo that it's called a satire. Otherwise, it's called realistic cop drama. Hmm. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, you know, I how I've described this a lot is that it's an absurdist dark comedy with magical realism and science fiction inspired by the world of telemarketing. And the reason why you have to use so many words is because there isn't a word for it. At some point, unfortunately, somebody will develop a word for it and try to make a formula for how it works. And that's when we lost. I know you touched on it a bit um, already there. You compared kind of making music, the process of making music to making a film. So did you find that your background in music actually did help you? in filmmaking in that way, in writing and directing and those processes? Definitely. My uh, my experience as a producer of music really helped me a lot because as a producer, I'll be, you know, I'll be in the studio and I might be working with the best bass player in the world and the drummer who thinks he's the best drummer in the world, but definitely is not the best drummer in the world. And then 
the guitar player who's ADHD and uh, texts in all caps. And each of them may know more about music than I do and definitely know way more about their instrument than I do. But it's my vision that I have to get them to follow. And not only to follow it, I have to get them to buy into it in a big way um, to, to see it. And, and Because otherwise, if it's just because I'm paying them, it's going to come out mechanically. So, and I have to know what each of them have to bring to the table that's most important for them to bring to the table and get that out of them. I then have to know that even though the guitar player is the expert at the guitar, that also means he's also going to want there to be a guitar solo, even if that makes the song worse. Mm -hmm. And so I have to know when we're going to use that guitar solo or not, and when to say no. And then I also have to know, you have to be okay when the bass player has a way better bass line than what I had. Mm -hmm. I have to be okay with that because I'm, I'm not attaching myself to all these petty things trying to control each and every single moment of the creation of it. I'm attaching, I'm directing the creation of it as well. And so, and I'm attaching my ego to that song, to that final product, not to everything along the, every single thing along the way. I have to, you know, accept good ideas and great ideas when I, when I recognize them. And that's, all of that stuff is what a director does. And speaking of, you know, um, you know, working with the different kind of members of your cast and crew, I have to say one of the things I was delighted about this movie was to see Tessa Thompson in there in the cast because she is just, oh my gosh, she is so cool. I mean, she was incredible in Thor Ragnarok. She's going to be in the Men in Black spinoff. She really is one of the like fastest rising stars at the moment. Can you tell me a bit about casting her and what was it like working with her? So I, 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 uh, I cast Lakeith Stanfield, mm -hmm. but a year before I had written an email to Tessa Thompson and she never responded to it. And after I cast Lakeith though, she was like, hey, I'll take the part. And I was like, wait a minute. Because <laughs> by then we had already started doing chemistry reads with other actors and I, I had some some other favorites at the time mm -hmm. and mixed with a little of like, okay, so you're not going to return my email for a year, right? Um, sort of feeling. And so, you know, but again, this Tessa Thompson, like, wh what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, um, but you have to do a chemistry read. And I had been told, like, sh she was offer only. Like, she was already big enough to where... Like, you don't ask her to read anything. Like, mm. you heard the part or you don't. And um, and I was like, you know, like, there's... An, and, but for me, just honestly, as a first-time director, I was like, there's no... that That is one of the most important pieces of electricity we need to see. Of course, yeah. To make it seem human. Well, you know, because you could have two great actors that don't work together well. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was like, okay thinking that she was going to say no, but I, the only way I can do this is, you know, if there's a chemistry read. And she's like, I'll do a chemistry read. And then I was like, oh, okay. And, but we couldn't organize it at the, you know, nobody, you know, everybody was going to be in different places. We couldn't get it together. 
Um, so I was like, okay, we'll do it over Skype. With me thinking in my head that my other favorites were going to win because there was no way that we could get a good chemistry read with me in Oakland, Lakeith in L.A., and her in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. And um, But boy, was I wrong. There was fire on the laptop. And I was like, wow, if this can happen with them not even in the same place. It's going to be amazing on screen. And and that was right. And that's how that happened. Well, it was the perfect casting in the end. Um, when I sat down to kind of prepare for this interview and I was writing up my questions, I was thinking, I don't know how much I want to ask about the movie itself because, you know, I didn't really want to deconstruct it. I almost like when films like this can be read on so many different levels, can be interpreted differently by different viewers. But I was wondering, how do you yourself feel about talking about your movies? You know, what does it mean and what's it meant to be about? Are you happy to kind of put your stamp on it and say, no, this is what it's about? Are you happy for people to kind of interpret it as they like? Uh, It really just depends. There are certain themes that I don't mind uh, talking about. Mm -hmm. And there are other things in there that people are like, you know, what is Mr. You know, Omari Omari Hardwick's character? What is his real name? Or, uh, you know, what's the relationship of his eye patch to the left eye? You know, all those sorts of things. I'm like, you know, that's for you to figure out. Certain things like that that are just certain details that why put it in there if I'm going to explain everything. Um, But there are certain overarching themes that I'm down to talk about, but it's not so much about, like, explaining it like here is the key to it. Mm -hmm. It's more just, like, thoughts about it. Certain, there are other things that are meant to uh, be able to be read by the individual that I'm not going to, like, everybody, people ask me about the Tessa Thompson gallery scene. Mm -hmm. I don't need to really explain that. That's just, you know, there to be talked about. And uh, it has a meaning to me, but uh, I think it, it can... It can, there's a lot of room in there for, uh, for it to mean different things. And, and sometimes you create meanings through the reflection of different elements. Um, and things take on new meanings to even the artist. Mm-hmm. So it, it's sort of strange talking about them. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. I was wondering, Boots, um, you know, Sorry to Bother You is your directorial debut. It's been doing like fantastically. All the critics are loving it. What are you looking forward to next? Have you got any ideas for your next feature? I've got dozens of ideas. Like literally dozens. (laughs) But only 15 of them are great. Ah. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm actually, I'm writing um, two features. I have have deals. for them and then I'm writing a television show uh, with Michael Ellenberg as a producer who brought Game of Thrones to HBO and then I'm writing I'm writing and directing um, an episode of Guillermo del Toro's 10 After Midnight his Netflix horror anthology series oh brilliant loads in the works then yeah I gotta stop talking about this movie and get working 
<laughs> well, we love hearing about this one too. You know, it's only coming out in um, in our Irish cinemas in December, so you might still be talking about it for a while yet. I can't wait to, for, for people to see it there, and, and I can't wait to come to Ireland at some point. Brilliant, Boots. So I know I'm running low on time. Um, I suppose my very last question would be, we always like to ask, it's just for fun, sorry it isn't putting you too much on the spot, but what are your own three favourite movies, say any that have inspired you over the years, or maybe three that inspired Sorry to Bother You? Um, let's see. Ymir uh, Costa Rica, Black Cat, White Cat, Paul Schrader, Mishima, Milos Foreman, Fireman's Ball. Oh, wow. I think that you're the quickest who's ever given me the, that answer ever. People always get nervous, like, oh, my gosh, three movies. How do I how do I define oh, that? <laughs> also not stuck to those movies, so I'm not really um, worried. But, yeah, those are just ones that I was thinking about recently. Oh, OK, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. OK, well, that's great. We'll leave it there then, Boots. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today. I really, really did love the movie. And I, like I said, I can't wait for Irish audiences to see it as well. Yeah, I can't wait either. So let me know what they think. I will do that. Thanks so much, Boots. All right, thanks. See you now. Have a good day. Now.